Welcome, folks, to Brand of Man Ministries, building one disciple at a time for the cause of Christ. I'm your host, Will Hunsaker, and today, in Open Your Bibles, we move forward into chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians with, with the opening three verses. So please turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, here we're going to see Paul offer some critical insight to all believers as to why God is sovereign. Now, from the Apostle Paul, going right to the text. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. So to be sovereign means to have supreme power and authority over something. In the case of God, his sovereignty is over all creation. The sovereign gift from God that we call grace is the focus of Paul's letter. But what does it mean? For God to be sovereign. And why must he be sovereign? Well, the sovereignty of God is established from the opening verses of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. Now, when, when the Hebrew verb for create is used in the Bible, it is always accompanied by the subject, God. The context, then, is that God alone creates. And in the beginning, he created everything from nothing, because he was there before the beginning. This biblical truth alone, alone, makes God sovereign over all things. This means that God works for his good pleasure without any influence from anything else. This is going to be critical to what Paul is talking about. Now, at some point, all believers are, are confronted with the why God must be sovereign, or at the very least, how much sovereignty does God apply? Paul provides three points that help us to understand and answer those questions. First, Paul describes a believer's condition before coming to Christ, and you are dead in the trespasses and sins. That's Ephesians 2.1. Now, notice that Paul does not tell us we were troubled by trespasses and sins. Trespasses meaning crossing a boundary set for us by God, such as law. Paul doesn't teach us that we were wounded, sick, or just having a bad day because of trespasses and sins. He says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And folks, dead means dead. This death is not only physical death from the corruption of the fall, but also spiritual death. Good reference there is Ezekiel 37, Romans 6 and 7, Colossians 2. There's quite a few of that spiritual death reference in the Bible. So, as no one can resurrect themselves from the dead, God must, in a sovereign act of grace an unmerited gift now, change an unbeliever's condition 
that is in opposition to God so that they can come to Christ. Reference there is John 3 with his Jesus's conversation and interaction with Nicodemus. Second, Paul points out the believer's performance before coming to Christ. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. This is our performance prior to coming to Christ. So how unbelievers perform is directly linked to the ever-changing ways of the world around them. They conform to that in performance. And this is led by none other than the master of evil, the fallen angel himself, Satan, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That is Satan. That is the fallen angel and his minion. So simply put, unbelievers live a life of spiritual death. The word that is used for world is usually a reference by Paul to worldly powers that are in opposition to God, or at the very least, apathetic to him. The point here from Paul is that we were spiritually dead before coming to Christ. It is not only because we were unregenerate, but also because that the sinful state resulted in a performance that opposed God. So we were, our condition was in opposition to God and our performance was in opposition to God. So the only way that we could come to Christ is if God first began a work in us. Reference there is John 6, 44. This is a sovereign act of grace because we were dead in our sins. So you have the condition, you have the performance, but lastly, Paul makes what I believe to be the most significant point as to why God must be sovereign and fully apply his sovereign grace, and it's because of our very nature. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Once again, Ephesians 1 and 3. Paul emphasizes that sinful conditions and sinful behavior are not only the byproducts of the condition and performance of an unbeliever, but also who they are by nature. Paul would point this out again in in his epistle to the Romans, saying, by our nature, essentially, we are vessels subject to the wrath of God. This portrait Paul paints of the unbeliever before Christ puts to bed any notion that we can save ourselves by thought or deed. Our condition, our performance, and nature prevent this from happening by our own will. We were dead, and the dead cannot save themselves. The Bible provides many examples of this, many illustrations, but a great one is the raising of Lazarus. Look at that. Did anyone there during that account approach Lazarus and and encourage him to get up? Say, hey, Lazarus, get up. 
Say, just say the sinner's prayer to Jesus and, and he'll come and save you. He's here, pretty important guy. He can help you. No, no one did that because they knew Lazarus was dead. However, when Jesus, the son of God, said, Lazarus, come forth, he came forth. He responded. Why? Because God, Father, Son, and Spirit, allowed him to do so. God alone, folks, is the giver of life and thereby sovereign over it. The dead, physically and spiritually, are unable to do anything. We who were once unbelievers and spiritually dead now have life. And that life must be an act of God's sovereign grace, provided at his good pleasure and for his glory alone. You see, folks, God must be sovereign for sinners to be saved because of our condition, because of our disobedience, and because of our nature. So how much of his sovereignty does apply? The answer is a basic biblical principle established from the beginning. God applies all of his sovereignty all the time. There is never a time when God is not sovereign. Because if God is not sovereign, he is not God. Thank you for listening. Now next up on Open Your Bibles, we'll turn to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 7 where Paul explains why unbelievers must be saved and how God does it. Grace and peace to you all. And remember, the Bible cannot mean anything different today than it did back then.